Thank you, Joy. Let me just pray as we reflect on God's word as we've heard it. Loving God, we seek to hear your word as a living voice that speaks into our lives, our times, and the world in which we recognise that you continue to be at work. May it speak to us personally. May it speak to us as your church. May we respond in ways which honour you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We have uh, come to the conclusion of our series on the great mission plan of God as it's been revealed. And uh, from now until Advent, we will be using the what's called the lectionary readings. The common lectionary is a uh, agreed set of readings used by uh, the majority of churches right around the world on any given Sunday. So the passages that we will be reflecting on, there'll be people uh, in countries right around the world reflecting on the same um, themes, with the exception of next week when we'll have St Matthew's Day, but that's also set readings. At this part of the, uh, the lectionary readings, and what we will follow now for a number of weeks, is uh, from Luke, Luke's Gospel as Jesus comes towards the conclusion of his journey towards Jerusalem and those uh, uh, profound events that were to occur in that final week of Jesus' um, time in Jerusalem leading up to his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. And at this stage, um, Luke is including a number of the parables of Jesus that we don't find in the other Gospels. And the parables have that shadow of Jesus' journey and the responsibilities of what the, uh, the role of God's leaders are in the community. And that's uh, the context behind three parables in Luke 15. We're just going to look at the first two of the three. There is the, uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and what is often known as the lost son, the prodigal son. It's actually a parable of two sons. And I want to pick up that theme of lost and found, which runs through each of those three parables. The theme of uh, having lost someone, like a child, in terms of uh, those moments in which we uh, suddenly realise that our child has gone missing, is something that many of us might recall in different times. Fiona and I would recall occasion, I still do it quite vividly, even feel the moment when um, we were in the Art Gallery of South Australia with our son Jonathan, uh, who has special needs at a younger age, and he likes to be in the same gallery, but at a distance from us as we look at paintings. He likes to have that distance. But a number of years ago, he decided to wander when we were, had our backs turned looking at paintings, and we turned around and realised he wasn't there. At that moment, we think, okay, has he gone upstairs? Has he gone downstairs? Has he gone into another gallery? Has he gone out the doors? Is he in King William Road? Where is John? And we spent frantic 20 minutes trying to locate him before we eventually found him and suggested that he probably shouldn't go upstairs at a time without telling us. But I'm sure we all have those moments we might recall where a, a child in our care or someone else we know has gone missing. There's one uh, notorious example of my family with my, uh, one of my older brothers, Stephen. Uh, back when he was uh, four-year-old and I was only six months, and our family 
we lived in New Zealand, um, in Auckland, but we were visiting the, uh, the UK for t um, 12 months, and apparently he went missing in Southampton in the midst of a busy shopping day. And uh, it was a number of hours that he went missing, and my mother had barely forgiven him ever since. And uh, apparently when he was found by a police officer and asked, well, so where do you live? He very helpfully answered, Auckland. <laughs> we have those moments. And isn't it also true that of all the various news stories that makes a real impact on us, and obviously we've had a massive example of that in the in last few days, but the stories of a child who goes missing, missing in the bush, maybe missing in the outback, and I think it, it, it touches something deep in all of us. And as a community, I just know so many prayers go out at those moments as uh, authorities seek to go and do a search and to find. And more often than not, the child is found. And we all have a collective sigh of relief to know that the child who has been lost has been found and can be returned. There's something very profound about that experience. I think it's also true in our own lives, not just in terms of physically being lost, but we have, may have experienced moments in our own life when we have ever experienced a, uh, a sense of lostness. Maybe we have made some choices. Maybe we have gone in a direction of, uh, um, of whatever it may have been. And we might have asked ourselves, how did I get here? How did I get myself into this space, into this mess? And how can I get back to where I need to be? can be in the context of relationships or all manner of other reasons. And whilst we can recognise some uh, spectacular sense of uh, losing the plot and going astray in others, in a more private sense we may recognise those moments where either we've made some choices, gone about things as we know we shouldn't have done, and we need to turn back. So that in a, is a very profound sense of what being lost can look like. I'll come back to it a little bit later when we reflect on our mission of the church, but it's into that world, into that experience that we can hear these passages. What I'm going to do is reflect on the passage as they are and just give a suggestion for how we can uh, interpret them in context to see another dimension to it. Then I want to revisit that experience of lostness and also the missional calling of the church in conclusion, just giving your heads up of where we go. But let's look at the passage. And the biggest cue for how to uh, interpret this in the context that Luke has located, it comes in the first two verses. This, this verse, or this, this background, sets the scene for the three parables that are to follow. Luke 15 starts with, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Those who were known to have lost the plot spiritually in terms of uh, their lifestyle, their choices. The phrase tax collectors were renowned for their corruption, working on behalf of the Romans and farming an extra slice of that revenue for themselves. <coughs> Excuse me. They were hated and reviled for that. And the sinners who were gathering around, and the phrase sinners there was a, a phrase that was used sort of behind people's back. 
those notorious people who had so messed up their lives, had uh, a lifestyle and made choices that people would avoid them on the street, not even catch their eye, and people who brought shame upon a community. These tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the religious leaders of the time. The Pharisees were renowned for their uh, piety of life. And the teachers of the law were the, those who had studied the law. They knew it well. They'd read all the right theological textbooks. They'd been well-trained. But they criticised Jesus. They muttered. You would think that they would be rejoicing and saying how wonderful it is that they have returned, they have come back to God through this ministry. So this sets the backdrop for the three parables that follows. And I think it's helpful to even picture the drama of where Jesus' eye might be at a given time. So as Jesus describes those who are lost, you can imagine Jesus' eyes going to the tax collectors and the sinners gathering around them and viewing them with eyes of compassion and that desire to know where to go. And when Jesus gets to those who ought to be celebrating, you can imagine him looking at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and saying, why aren't you celebrating? To be a shepherd is to be a leader. Shepherds weren't highly regarded in the ancient world, but they were, um, had the pedigree of David had been a shepherd We've got things like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And uh, in Ezekiel's passages, it talks about the responsibility of the leaders and their failure as leaders to shepherd the people. It is a relationship of trust. A number of years ago, a friend of mine um, went to do a, a season of jackarooing, went out to the outback and had a time as a jackaroo. And I remember when he came back, and uh, um, the words were just so striking, it stayed with me. He came back and he said, gee, sheep are stupid. <laughs> because that's pretty much what they do. They're not renowned for their, uh, their uh, intellectual acumen, for being uh, particularly bright creatures. They often will respond in fear, um, and they're very jumpy animals. But at its best, the role of a shepherd is to lead, not like in our Australian and New Zealand background where we might have the, the sheepdogs behind, you know, trying to gather them together. But this picture here is what I absolutely love because it captures more of what shepherding looked like in the ancient world and it still looks like in the ancient Near Eastern parts of the world. Sheep who know their shepherd will follow. And that look on them as they follow is a look of devotion of trust and that is the role of shepherding that Jesus has in mind so he tells them a parable suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it 
And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he comes to the point that he's making in the parable. So the shepherd calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Jesus then goes on, (coughs) I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now the phrase righteous persons is not necessarily those who are doing good or those who are pious. The phrase is used in Luke's Gospel to refer to those who have held firm to their faith in the covenant promises of God, that God would send the Messiah, God will bring about salvation, God will be will be faithful to the promises he's made. So those who hold firm to those promises are those who are described in Luke's Gospel as the righteous. But you can imagine at this moment, Jesus looking at those Pharisees and scribes over the sinners, the, the tax collectors who are turning their lives around and returning, listening to the teaching of Jesus and finding them words of, of love and of uh, mercy and of of bringing back into the back onto the path why aren't you rejoicing his eyes would be saying to the pharisees and the scribes and it goes on to the second parable or suppose a woman has seven silver coins and loses one doesn't she like a lighter lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it Silver coins is a drachma. It's about a fortnight's of wage we might describe. So to have 10 would be, in effect, a superannuation for the woman. And again, we could identify with that moment of losing something that we know is there, we just can't find it. At one level, a trivial level, it can just be frustrating. You know, my head tells me, I cannot find this thing, but I know it cannot disappear. It's there somewhere. And you get that frustration trying to work out where has it got to. But at an even more profound level when it's something of value, something that is precious and we can't find it. So that desperation and as you light, the woman lights the lamp, sweeps the house and search carefully until she finds it. And then Jesus concludes, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. There's a few points that Jesus is making in these parables. At that experiential level, we need to recognise what that lostness looks like in our own world and time. It is not for the church to say, it's okay, we've got 99 wouldn't it be great if we actually had 99% of our community in church, but got nowhere near that. But at times we have a complacency. We think, we've got enough in our church. We're okay. And that complacency is very much focused on us. One of the great challenges for the church of our day and age at this season of our ministry is to be looking outside the church and recognising not only do we need the numbers, we should be having a care and a concern for those who are lost. Unless we think for a moment that our Western world and Western culture is in such a great space 
that there is such rejoicing and all is healthy and well, there is so much lostness. Lostness in terms of trust, lostness in terms of purpose, of hope, a sense of what is life about, and a lostness in a sense of acquiring all this stuff and still having that dissatisfaction, that sense of emptiness, or making choices in life and realizing that choices we make will end in tears. There is so much of that in our wider community. Sadly, there's also a lot of that in our church. And there's a sense in which the church of God is also lost. There's many ways in which these parables operate. At one level, Jesus is actually looking at the Pharisees and the scribes and suggesting they are lost too. If you're not rejoicing, then you must be lost because God is rejoicing. There's also a reading, which I won't go into detail, it says that this is actually addressing the whole people of Israel. The people of Israel, other than the faithful few who have been trusting, is lost and needs to return to to being the faithful people of God and be about the mission and ministry of God. And I suspect, I know it is the truth, that the church has been lost, continues to be lost. We get some things right, other things that we have got not at all right. We are in an age in which we need to hear this, not in a us and them way, but to recognise we need to repent and to turn and to renew our commitment, our trust, our calling. Next week at St Matthew's Day will be our chance to renew that commitment and ask in God's grace to put us on solid ground and open up for us pathways which are honouring to him. But the final voice in this is that this is the work of God and there is delight, there is celebration as we rejoice with the heavenly angels. I was trying to find pictures of the angels and I just love that graphic. (laughs) Because that's the joy. It's not some otherworldly sort of uh, sense. It's a very palpable, real sense of delight when the sheep has been found and is returned. If you've seen a lamb who's been separated, returned to the flock, there is such delight. When someone has found that which has been lost, it's so precious to them. They said, oh, yes. As Jesus says, when those who have strayed return home, when they are found and brought back, there is rejoicing in heaven. Let us sit with that for a while. We're going to have our interlude item now and the song is actually a a traditional song called The Wayfaring Stranger. It's a great gospel song and this is a more contemporary version of it but I encourage you just to listen to the words as well as the the narrative that it tells.